So I was that totally going to knock you for not sending anything to Mars. How high up have you said stuff, Mike? If you're going to knock on us, how high has anything that you've created gone up in the air? It sounds like we could do this with cheese. Fabricated a bracket or something and attached a can of Cheese Whiz to it and used it to 3D print in Cheese Whiz. That's called FCF, Fusion Cheese Fabrication. People with lactose intolerance are crying out for us to stop. Moonshine! Coming to you straight from a cabin in the Virginia woods, Tech Moonshine is the best place to learn about new technologies and how they might affect your life. Your hosts are both experienced technology professionals and, just like quality moonshine, they will give you the straight and unfiltered truth. My name is Sean Burns and I'm proud to introduce the host of Tech Moonshine, Mike Rollins! And welcome to Tech Moonshine, where you will get 200 proof, honest truth, from a cabin in the Virginia woods. And Sean, tonight we have a special guest with us. We Is have it me? Am I the special guest? Sean, you're always our special guest. And you know that you're always our special guest. But joining us in the cabin in the Virginia woods tonight is the eminent and incredible Russ Stein. And Russ is here with us this week to talk about 3D printing, which truly is a topic worthy of Tech Moonshine. So, you know, let's let's let Russ get into it. Russ, tell me, what is your favorite thing? Why are you a master of 3D printing? What is it about 3D printing that has captured your heart? And why is it that you have been willing to auction off the majority of the things that you own to possess these 3D printers? Um, all very good questions. Um, I've been 3D printing for about 10 years. Um which most people wouldn't even think that, uh, you know, this has been around for that long, but um, 3D printing as an industry has actually been around for probably about 30 or so years. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, early invented in the mid-80s and um, patented in the early 90s. And the reason why you're actually seeing so much press about uh, 3D printing currently is because um, the length of the patents that were um, uh, given up uh, in the early 90s are now coming uh, coming due and so uh, all these companies are looking to uh, get into the 3D printing market uh, because the patents have expired and they have the opportunity to do that um, and do it at a much lower cost than some of the companies that are out there now um, but like I said, I've, I've been doing it for about 10 years um, for uh, my professional life. Um, I'm actually a, an engineer, a, a NASA contractor, and I spent uh, a good portion of my career um, designing astronaut tools, which um, required... That seems legit, man. <laughs> Fine, too. Uh, <laughs> this isn't... This isn't... Mike, I know what you're thinking. He doesn't mean tools for the little Lego astronaut guys that we used oh, to play man. I know that was the first oh, thing you thought of. We were talking yeah. about the 80s Legos here, I thought. Well, you know, you got to replace that little chin strap that always crack on the helmet. That's terrible. That's not what we're talking I'm about so here. I'm so sad about that. Well, so what are we talking about here? Yes. We're talking about real, like... NASA space vehicles that go yes. to the moon and things like that. Uh, well, not not the moon. Um, my, to Mars? Uh, my biggest project was actually working on the Hubble repair mission. 
Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so... See, I was totally was... going to knock you for not sending anything to Mars, but the Hubble <laughs> repair mission was pretty legit, too. So I guess I can't I can't knock you for, A, not sending anything to the moon, and B, not sending anything to Mars. How high but, up have you said stuff, Mike? If you're going to knock us, <laughs> how high has anything that you've created gone up in the air? Uh, Sean, I, I cannot answer that question because the statute of limitations has not run out on any of them. Um but so repairing Hubble, I think that's pretty legit. We're going to give you credit. So, do you use three D printing in your day to day job? Uh, I do, and that's actually why I brought up the the astronaut tools, right? So, mm -hmm. when you're designing for a mission like that, you are constantly in flux, right? Your your designs are constantly changing. You're responding to the requests from the astronauts, and um, they want to see a new prototype like every five minutes. <laughs> um, and, and so that's really difficult when you're trying to, when you're trying to give them what they want uh, when they want it. And um, so 3D printing, which up until recently wasn't actually called 3D printing, it was just rapid prototyping, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> really enabled that and makes that, made that happen. Um, and so give me an example of something where an astronaut marches up to you and says, Russ, I need this and I need this right now. And mm -hmm. like, are you, are you printing out extraordinarily large pieces or little pieces or is it, you know, across the board? Um, it can be in a, it can be across the board. Um, that's actually one of the limitations of 3d printing is the size of the parts okay. that you can build. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they would come to us and say, well, we'd like to see this. We'd like to try it out, hold it, uh, play around with it, because they're, they're constantly looking at the computer models, the, the CAD models, um, and then they want to hold it in their hands. And so we would go off and um, uh, go get those parts 3D printed. Uh, there's a number of different processes that you can use to, to print in. Um, and you could get a 3D printed part um, turnaround time in a couple of days where if you had to make that part out of metal um, it could take a couple of weeks right and there's a lot of reasons why those parts uh, would take a couple of weeks in in traditional manufacturing you know you gotta order the material you gotta have a a programmer go in and program the toolpath for the you know, computer-controlled machine. Then you got to set it up on the machine. Then you got to run the machine. Then you got to check the part. Right? That all takes a couple of weeks. Um, but 3D printing, you're starting from a model, and you have a software program that will take that model and slice it into a whole bunch of layers um, of you know whatever thickness uh, you you want, um, and that goes into the accuracy of the part, um, and then the software pro, you know, goes to the printer and it prints your part for you. And when the part is done, it's done. You pull it off the machine, they're nearly perfect, um, and, uh, and it's right there for you, ready to use. Um, it can be done in plastic, it can be done in metal, um, and so it's, it's really a remarkable process, and I don't think we would have made the mission... Uh, you know, the Hubble repair mission, if we didn't have that capability because um, it really enabled us to get real-time feedback from the crew members um, mm -hmm. who could tell us, I like this or I didn't like this or this worked well or that didn't. And we could make a, a fix 
um, in in relatively short time. So I'm now, not an expert on 3D printing, but I I am a father to a young daughter. So when these eyeshadows are coming to you constantly saying, "I want to see something new, something new," do you ever try just hiding it from them for five minutes and showing them the same one again and tell, pretending like, "Oh, you just fixed it"? See if that worked? <laughs> no. <laughs> they're they're pretty sharp guys. Those uh, those astronauts. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know what. Is this just for prototyping, or do you actually send 3D printed parts up into space? Um, I have not sent any 3D printed part into space, and there's a variety of reasons why you wouldn't do that. Um, however, that's not to say that uh, people won't do that in the future. I know NASA is currently working on a 3D printed telescope, a, a real small one, um, to, to test out the process and see if they can they can make it worthy of sending into space. Um, the uh, requirements that you have to meet to send something into space are dramatically different than the requirements that you would uh, need to meet, let's say, to make a part for your car. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, because of the limitations of 3D printing, um, you have to go through a lot more rigor to make sure that your parts are suitable to meet the environmental requirements in space. That um, being because, you know, random bursts of radiation can go ripping through the, the piece that you print, or or is it because of the hot, cold extremes, or like... Um, a little bit of that. Um, not so much the radiation, but um, 3D printed parts, well, first of all, plastic in itself is uh, difficult to go into space because of the temperature extremes, but... Okay. For metal 3D printed parts, um, uh, you know, the the issue with it is that um, you're printing things in layers, which, mm -hmm. if you think about it, um, is very different than the traditional subtractive manufacturing process, right. where you start from uh, some metal that has been uh, preformed and is uni has uniform material properties. When you're building something in layers, inherently um, it can uh, fragment. That's going to give you some issues with the structural integrity of the part, okay. right? You can you can get voids in between the layers. You you can have adhesion problems wait, between wait, the wait, layers. Wait, wait, Sean, Sean. Yeah. Do you hear it? Did you hear it? I heard. It's time. It's time for, for jargon busting. Oh, jargon busting! Jargon busting! I don't yes. actually know any of that jargon, though. So you're not <laughs> well, no, jargon. I, I heard out of everything that Russ just said, I heard one random piece of jargon, which was void. What is a void? Ah, uh, I didn't say void. <laughs> what did you say? I said void. Void. What is that Swedish porn movie you like, Mike? You're confusing the two. Okay, this is void, not void. And I pulled out jargon busting at the wrong time, man. Jargon busting is busted. It sucks. All right, so Russ, I mean, no one knows what a void is, obviously. What's a void? That's that feeling so, you have in your life, Mike, that causes us to make and drink so much moonshine. Oh, uh, yeah, apparently. No, um, you can get imperfections in the part, right, with 3D right. printing, right? And that can be gaps in the material. It can be poor adhesion between the layers. Um, and, and those are the kinds of things where um, you, you might be concerned about the structural integrity of your part. So um, 
when you send it into space and it has to withstand the the launch environment, the shaking, the vibration, all of the acoustic energy that goes into um, what makes a rocket launch so violent, um, those are the things that you have to worry about. And if you can't be confident in the material properties of your part um, and the structural integrity of your part, then you can't be confident that you're going to have a, success, a successful mission um, when it actually gets into orbit. And so that's why it's a challenge um, to use 3D printing in, in space. Now, um, now that's in space. Yes. You know, how would you feel about a 3D printed part on the car that you drive or something of that nature? Do you think that like there's enough structural integrity for it to act as part of you know some kind of uh, suspension or is there, are there still issues there? So that's an interesting question because I, I feel like uh, those issues are still going to be there um, for certain applications, even uh, in a car. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I, you know, I, until they prove out the process, I probably wouldn't want to live in one of those fancy 3D printed houses that you've read about recently either. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but you know, there are a lot of parts that um, 3D printing would be perfectly fine for and I'd have no problem using, um, you know, if you want to have, let's say, a custom uh, steering wheel or, you know, a, you know, one of those knobs for your, your shifter in the car, <laughs> right? The, those things are perfect application for, for 3D printing. Um, a suspension or part of your suspension, I start to get a little worried. Um, however, there are a lot of companies that are putting a lot of effort into to figuring out if this is a viable process and um, companies like Rolls-Royce and GE are actively looking to 3D print some of their engine parts and there's a, a lot of really good reason why they're doing that. Um, air, airplane engines, by the way. Um, and the reason they're doing that is because 3D printing uh, gives you the uh, capability to design parts um, in uh, non-traditional ways. Um, and by that, I mean because you're adding material to make the part, um, you can do geometries that you can't uh, traditionally achieve with subtractive manufacturing. Um, so if you look at uh, some of the pictures online of you know fancy 3D printed parts, you'll see these crazy geometric shapes and things like that um, because they look real pretty but to an engineer those shapes are great because they um, give you a lot of uh, structural advantages while reducing the weight of your part because you've got all this uh, free space in between the, the supports and the part and so that's really really attractive um, for an aerospace engineer or you know a, a structural engineer someone who wants to design something that has um, minimal weight um, but lots of uh, good strength to it so there's a balance between the really awesome structural properties you can get from a cool 3D printed design versus whether or not your part uh, has the actual mechanical properties that you think it does when you print it. And so uh, there are companies that are that are actively pursuing um, you know these metal printed parts um, and doing that due diligence to make sure that it's okay to fly them. 
Um, and I can tell you with 100% certainty that if GE decided they wanted to fly a 3D printed part, um, uh, they are going to have to go through a tremendous amount of um, uh, trials and testing and stuff to prove to the FAA that that part is airworthy and that it's going to be okay to fly and that um, you can feel comfortable flying in an airplane because the part's not going to fall apart. Okay. Because that's our biggest concern these days yeah. of flying. <laughs> I, so I don't Russell. know, man. There have been a lot of plane crashes lately. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe at least we could find it then. Anyway, um, <laughs> back to the 3D printing. So what, Russ, what are the differences between the 3D printers you use and professionally to build parts for NASA and the kind of 3D printer I can go buy it at this point at Home Depot and just have it here in my house? Is there any difference? So that's also a good question. And the answer is, in some ways, they're dramatically different. In other ways, not so much different at all. There's actually a number of different uh, types of 3D printing processes that you can actually do. Um, and so the, the most common application for a 3D printer that you can buy commercially today um, I shouldn't say commercially, as a consumer today um, is what was originally called um, an FDM, FDM printer. Um, wait, 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 wait. I, I used to listen Sean. to them back in the 70s. They were a good band. FDM, Sean. It's totally different, man. <laughs> um, FDM stands for Fused Deposition Modeling, um, but uh, the non-patented name, I believe, is FFF for Fused, fused Filament Fabrication. Uh, if I can get the acronyms correct, I, I tell you... Okay, our goal now is to is... enough moonshine that we can't say that <laughs> three times fast. F... Okay, let's go. <laughs> so, seriously, working, working for NASA, you get used to the acronyms. They have an ac yeah. acronyms everywhere. <laughs> um, so that's the most common printer that's on the market today. Um, and the way it basically works is you take um, a filament wire of plastic and you heat it up through an extruder um, and it lays it down in the pattern, each layer, uh, layer by layer, kind of like a hot glue gun. Um, so if you can imagine, you know, the hot glue gun that you'll do scrapbooking with or something, um, just Don't sort of... scrapbooks all the time. You should see all of the scrapbooking that he's done to document the the, the course of evolution of the still. It's amazing. He's really it's into... Really... Yeah, what's Although that? it's also um, not... It's not unlike my icing that, that I do, those those custom yeah. cakes that I make. You know, my little, my little icing applier is not unlike the way they lay down those layers of 3D printing. Very, very good point. Very you good you point. can get 3D printed icing these days, too. So You know, I was... You know, just that sounds kinda, like a horrible use of technology. Kind of off the, you know, off the cuff, speaking of food, could I possibly get, like, if we're just talking about something that I could heat up and lay out in a filament, it sounds like we could do this with cheese. Uh, you can. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> I, not Parmesan. I, no, 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 not Parmesan. Not Parmesan. We have got a mozzarella. Right a little type bit. of cheese. Was, mozzarella is probably very ideal. Was was that a slow ball for me? No. <laughs> There's there there was an article uh, that I read last week about somebody who took their 3D printer and um, uh, fabricated a bracket or something and attached 
a can of Cheese Whiz to it and used it to 3D print in Cheese Whiz. <laughs> that sounds remarkably yes. unhealthy. The amount of saturated fat in that bracket is going to be ridiculous. So did they did they 3D print onto a base of a Ritz? <laughs> oh. that's, that's kind of my favorite way to have cheese whiz. And what what did they build up with the model? I mean, uh, this I, just I I don't I, recall. But through the Hubble, man, we that's have actually called. I don't know if you guys know this. That's called FCF, fused <laughs> fabricated no, fusion cheese fabrication. Fabrication, <laughs> yes. Uh, but three D printed foods are actually a thing. People are doing that. Um, and it's it's pretty wild what people are trying to do. So so if you were if you were to three D print metal, does it work similar to FFF, where you have a long filament of a long basically metal wire that you're melting and applying, or how does the metal three D so, printing work? So that's actually a a really good question, and it gets back to the many different types of three D printing that are out there. Um, so there's there's FDM, which is like the hot glue gun. Then there's another process called SLA, and the S and the L stand for stereolithography, um, which is, uh, I, I believe it was the first uh, type of 3D printing. Um, and the way that works, and, and Sean, I know we were talking earlier uh, about your your lasers and the liquid and the cool stuff. My magic wands and magic potions. I'll talk about that later. Yeah, well, so so the original, the very first 3D printing was called SLA, stereolithography, and the way it works is you shoot a UV laser into a photosensitive lasers. resin. Um, yes, lasers. Um, Freaking laser beams um, into, the, <laughs> into the vat of liquid, and the, the resin cures in layers, and that's how you build your 3D printed part. Um, it, it builds it up on a platform that, that moves through the liquid. Um, and that's similar to what um, uh, Sean was talking about uh, offline, uh, about this new company, I think it's called Carbon 3D, um, that has dramatically improved print times because what they do with their version of the process is they are able to turn... I, I don't know exactly how it works, but they're able to turn on and turn off oxygen molecules in the resin, and so they can control exactly which portions of the resin cure and when they cure, uh, which is different from the standard SLA process where you have to wait um, after the, the resin has been um, subjected to the UV laser. You have to wait for it to cure before you can move to the next layer. So you'd and, say it's uh, the difference between normal rice and instant rice. Yes, that's exactly right. Nice. <laughs> Ooh, except, I brought a metaphor. Way, way more technical. I don't know. Rice <laughs> is pretty complicated. I have trouble yeah. making that every day, man. Dude, you know what, so, man? Rice is tough. <laughs> rice is tough. Don't feel bad, Sean. Just stick I, with your 3D printed cakes, man. <laughs> Uh, so are there are, are there so but, but Russ that so, wouldn't help me print in metal right that would no, help me no, print hang on so I'm getting there okay. right so so then there's another process called SLS selective laser sintering you're just making these up I, I now, get to... I'm, these these acronyms they're all over and I think they do it just to get the NASA business um, but so selective laser sintering is a process where they take plastic powder and they smooth it out 
and then they use a laser to sinter the powder together, which basically like melting the powder um, uh, into the, the 3D layer shape, and they build it up layer by layer. And with each layer, they smooth the powder over, use the laser, then they smooth the powder over, use the laser, smooth the powder over, and use the laser. And they build up your part that way. Um, and that's done in plastic. And then they decided to take the next logical step with SLS, and they do it in metal. So they use powdered metal, powdered aluminum, titanium, steel, um, and they'll take this powder, and they smooth it out, use a laser, high-powered laser, to melt the powder together um, and, and build your part layer by layer. So that's how that works. That's... That, I, I don't believe they jumped straight from plastic. We all know they tried powdered cheese in the middle, and that was just a <laughs> huge hot mess. And so well, then they decided to try on, the metal. It depends on if it was the mac and cheese powdered cheese. You know what I'm saying? <gasps> Kraft, Kraft Kraft has actually got an entire 3D printing division that's top secret. Really totally, black totally. ops stuff. Like, Absolutely. I mean, How'd you hear about them, Sean? Because I heard about them too. <laughs> His Dude, daughter, up here in the Moonshining Shack, we hear everything. You know, really plugged into the new technology. Amazing. So what were you saying, Russ? I, I was saying his daughter built things out of macaroni and cheese, totally, right? Totally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Pasta was really just the first form of 3D printing, wasn't it? That's, I, I just blew Russ's mind. Profound and not profound at the same time. It's amazing. <laughs> just blew Russ's mind. He's like, wow. <laughs> like, just because we don't know how to respond, Mike, doesn't mean our minds are blown. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> So, so Russ, so there's lots of different ways to print stuff, and that's awesome. And uh, but, like, what what would a normal person print at home? I can imagine this being cool. I do a lot of 2D printing, but I'm probably not gonna like 3D print, you know, like legal forms and stuff. So, what what do people who have 3D printers at home what do they what do they print? Uh, also a good question, and the answer is I haven't a freaking clue. <laughs> so let me let me let me just postulate something to you. Let's say that maybe we were in the cabin one day and you know we our clothes get very dirty at the still and so um, we have a washing machine in the cabin and let's say that It's unclear cabin, why we wear suits while we work in the still, but that's the time, that's for another time. Or why we wash the suits in the washing machine in the first place when they're actually dry clean only, but it, we'll just let that go. Um, Sean's kind of cheap. But um, the you know let's say that a part went bad on my washing machine and then all of a sudden leaked water all over my floor. This is completely hypothetical. Did not happen mm -hmm. at any time in the recent history in the Virginia woods around here. Um, is it possible that instead of going out you know and, and ordering some part from Korea that I could actually just 3D print the part myself and put it back into the washer? Excellent question, and the answer is maybe. Um, yeah, so you, you could definitely do that if you have the skills to do it. <clears throat> um, and by that I mean, you know, engineers, mechanical engineers in particular, know how to use CAD, right, CAD software, computer-aided design, to, to make a 3D part, right? And so um, you would need to know how to use that software to create a model to actually print that model. Um, and so un unless that model was available someplace else, right? Mm -hmm. if, you're, if your washing machine company manufacturer offered that model to you 
for for a fee or free or you know however they chose to get it to you you could then take that model and print it out yourself however you were going to do that um, I actually had in my house um, a plastic drain cover for my shower that broke and couldn't find it anywhere at the local hardware stores at the local plumbing stores couldn't find a replacement that would work so I designed one in CAD and I printed it out and it works great so you can in fact <clears throat> make use of 3D printing to um, to fix things in your house um, and the, the real question is whether or not the average homeowner um, or home user is going to have the abilities to do that themselves or whether or not um, these you know uh, commercial companies are going to be able to make those models or um, those uh, you know those capabilities there for the the average user to use but wait aren't there online libraries where you can download these models that people have already uploaded sure and if they've uploaded the exact model Piece that, that you, you need, need <laughs> then then you could do that why why is it that companies have not uploaded all their models for their replacement parts to the internet so that you as a consumer if something is known to break off, then can just download and print it. It would seem to me to be in the best interest of the company to be like, listen, instead of calling customer support or complaining to us, go on our website, download a model, and go print it off yourself and have fun with it. Well, I, I would say, first of all, 3D printing is new enough that I don't think companies have even thought about that yet. <clears throat> um, you know, it's, it's still such a young industry when you're talking about uh, consumer interests um, that I don't, I don't think that companies are are there. Um, but I, I think there's also other aspects of intellectual property rights, and um, you know whether or not there's any liability associated with that. Um, if the if fees that they give, get in the service calls. Oh my God, Russell's basically telling us that we can't do this because the lawyers haven't had at it yet. <laughs> that is horrible. <laughs> Well, but, if we heard about lawyers, would we be in the Virginia woods making moonshine and drinking it and selling no. it? Although, you know, we sell it for, for a lot of money and it totally doesn't make you go blind. No, definitely not. Un until my lawyers have gotten at you and sued you for everything you're worth and then I've taken your stills and you're, you're out on the street. Oh, you want the still? The still is actually a load of pile or whatever. You can have that. I also I have two mason jars, and that's made to some of my my worldly possessions. You can have those too. <laughs> I don't want those mason jars. I know what's been in them. That's because the outhouse is out of out of stuff. Does not mean I'm use those mason jars for what you think I've been using them for. Um. Well, this is. I mean, like this is great, Russ. Like you've sent things into space. Um. Yeah. You've told us how to print with cheese. <laughs> um, in multiple formats, I might mention because yep. we can use either mozzarella or powdered cheese. Very. But don't forget exciting. the cheese whiz and the, the cheese whiz. So three forms of yes. cheese. Um. So leave us leave us with like one like really good story. Like, uh, what 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 have you three D printed of note? Like if and and what do you take pride in? Um. Oh man, that. That's I I so want to answer this question, but you can't. Um, but <laughs> it's 
It is not what you think. Because oh. <laughs> he worked for the government and... <laughs> no, it was no, an alien no. cage. Uh, they had to have a cage to hold aliens in and he can't... Yes, that's exactly it is. what it is. Russ 3D print said so they captured the aliens with the Hubble, didn't they? Uh, no, no. Actually, uh, I, I've been in the process of, of making something for Sean, and uh, he owes me something. And, um, and so I, I can't tell you what, what I'm making because uh, that would ruin the surprise. Um, but uh, I, 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 I will can't. tell you that um, uh, one of the things that I made that uh, as, as a gift that um, was really just a lot of fun to work on, and um, and the person who I gave this to um, absolutely just loves it and, and keeps it uh, visible at all times. Um, I made my father a coffee mug, and prior to designing the mug, I used uh, some freeware software to scan his face, and I put, <laughs> That's awesome. I put his face on the side of the mug in 3D and he totally looks like Han Solo cased, you know, encased in carbonite coming yes. out of the side of this coffee mug um, and it's awesome. So, <laughs> do, you, do you need a oh, very Russ, deep... There's also the, the, the gear pendant you made was epic. Like, the you have to tell pen. a story about the... Because it has moving parts. You 3D printed something that actually has moving parts. Yeah, yeah. So... That's one of the other really neat advantages to 3D printing um, because you're, and, and we didn't really talk about this much, but the difference between traditional manufacturing and 3D printing um, is traditional manufacturing is now referred to as subtractive manufacturing where you start with a block of material and you cut away from it to get your final part. With 3D printing, which is called additive manufacturing, you are taking material and you're adding that material to build your part. Um, and the reason additive manufacturing is is so attractive to engineers, aside from you know the crazy geometries and stuff that you can do with it, um, you can actually build fully assembled and integrated parts because you're building it layer by layer and adding the material in. So a, a real good example of this might be um, you know, a bicycle chain or, or you, know, a, uh, you know, a chain of some kind where it has links. You can build a part uh, or an assembly of those links pre-assembled together. Cool. Um, and what's, what's great about that is, you know, the, the traditional um, uh, expression, you're only, you're only, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Well, uh, chains are are weakest at the point where the links are bonded together and joined together. Um, with additive manufacturing or 3D printing, you can print a chain with those links fully formed, right? And so hopefully, theoretically, your structural integrity is way better than a traditional chain. So uh, there's a lot of really unique, cool things you can do with 3D printing in, in that respect because you, you can build fully functional parts pre-assembled right off the machine. That is pretty epic. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just I want to leave you guys with this thought. What if we created a new product called Chain Cheese? And we Chain 3D printed, Cheese. We 3D printed. Lock up your taste buds. 
Yes, yes. It, We've got it, there's a whole marketing campaign behind this, Sean. I see it right now. It would be I like those uh, those those candy necklaces, right? You know, like your kids you see. There you go. So, yes. I love Very this. Because we could have <laughs> a whole padlock of Gouda on there, and it would be, yeah. be fantastic. Very good. All right. People with lactose intolerance are crying out for us to stop right now. So. <laughs> um, well, I, you know, Russ, thank you. That was that was pretty epic and pretty awesome. Um, we are going to now move into the tech topic overload portion of the show. Tech, tech topic, topic overload. Now, in case you have never listened to the show before, the tech topic overload. What's wrong with you? If you haven't, honestly. Yes, absolutely. On the internets. Uh, Sean, on the internets, man, talking about. 3D printed cheese. Why wouldn't you listen to this before? In space, Mike. 3D printed cheese in space. Um, So you heard it here first, people. We fixed the Hubble telescope with 3D printed cheese. Um, (laughs) So Tech Topic Overload, each of us as your your co-hosts will pick a topic um, at our discretion, and and we will either talk blissfully about it or rant uh, with the directive that the producer of the show has told us that we can only rant. Um, so, Russ, I'm going to let you open up the, the topic this week. Um, what, what would you like to discuss in Tech Topic Overload? So, a couple of years ago, I won a Keurig machine at the uh, office holiday party, and I loved it. It was great. I still use it. Um, so, this past uh, holiday season, uh, at the holiday party... My boss put his raffle tickets in the, the little basket for the Keurig at my behest. I told him, I said, you got to get a Keurig. It's totally worth having. It's, they're great. It's like instant coffee. It's good coffee. You got it. It's, it's perfect. So he actually won the Keurig, took it home. He was asking me all kinds of questions about it, saying, all right, what do you do? What kind of coffee do you get? You know, what are your recommendations? And then we found out, a very sad, sad, sad thing. Coffee DRM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so he won a Keurig 2.0. And when, when I heard this, I, I had not even heard of the Keurig 2.0. So I immediately went online and and on the Googles and, and said, what is a Keurig 2.0? So Keurig in their infinite wisdom, decided that their profit margins were declining, they weren't making money the way they were before, because all of these people were buying their machines, but then using these uh, refillable cups to put their own coffee in, which is exactly no, what I do. No, not their own coffee. Yes, oh. it's exactly what I do and what I told my boss to do. <laughs> Running people out of business, Russ. How but, dare you? But Keurig said, we can't have all these people buying their own coffee. No, they have to buy Keurig-approved coffee. And so they put this optical scanner into the machine to scan the lids of the K-cups. And if you don't have a Keurig-authorized K-cup in the machine, the machine doesn't work. So, now, there are ways around this, right? You can Well, you know, do... if, you do, if you do a Google search and the very first word that you type in is Keurig, 
Yes. The autocomplete is hacking. Yes. Yeah, that that uh, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> um, so so of course you know my my boss came to me and said, hey, can we three D print something to to fix this problem for me? <laughs> so, but but here's the and thing. Now it works, right? but his, his coffee tastes like cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so so here's the thing, right? That's like. GE coming to you and saying, no, 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 you can only cook a butterball turkey in our oven. Or Maytag coming to you and saying, no, 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 you can only put clothes from the gap in our washing machine. It is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of, and I'm not usually one to be supportive of breaking digital rights management and you know. But it's not digital infringement. It's That's freaking as analog as yeah. it gets, man. I know. Coffee, I know. coffee but, rights is not a thing. It doesn't not a thing. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? It it brings up an interesting question, right? Where where does where does intellectual property start and end? And can you have intellectual property or even property itself over the concept of coffee or a type of coffee? I mean, you look at uh, something like uh, the Amazon Fire, right? Amazon sells those tablets at a loss, and they do it because they know if you buy their tablet at a, at a loss of profit to them, they're going to get you to buy into their whole... Ecosphere, right? The same, Apple does the same thing, although I don't think they're losing any money on anything they sell. <laughs> um, but, but, Look out, Apple but, hater folks! Yeah, yeah, Hold yeah. On. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing is, right? They do that um, with the uh, the the plan, knowingly that they're going to get people to buy into their products and services, right? Keurig is attempting to do the same thing. They say, we're going to build you this great machine so that you're going to buy our coffee. I get it. I understand why they're trying to do it. I really can't agree with it, though. <laughs> well, no. Ross, at least you can sleep well knowing that your curry machine, first thing in the morning, is not going to try and talk to you about race. I, I don't Which, I don't of know. course, is what Starbucks <laughs> was doing with their big Starbucks talk about race campaign. Oh, okay. That was really that. funny if you knew that that Baristas were talking about race first thing in the morning at Starbucks for a while there. I, See, I, I don't go to no. Starbucks. I Keurig my own coffee. So illegally, <laughs> illegally, Philistines. Oh. So I, I have a Keurig 1.0 that I didn't even know was 1.0 until I found out there was a 2.0. <laughs> right. I'm glad that we could uh, adopt the 2.0 moniker to include digital rights management. Um, you know, interestingly enough, Russ, um, the you know, you mentioned that the the current um, uh, the reason we have so all of a sudden, you know, uh, home side three D printing and things like that, and that we're seeing this, you know, panacea of three D printers go out, um, is because patents have expired. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, uh, the Keurig thing has a lot to do with patents as well, because they had patented the K cup, right. and as soon as that patent ran out, everybody just mass produced their own K cups. And so that was um, one of the reasons that they created the the DRM on top of the um, on top of the K cup is because not only are people putting their own 
coffee into the refillable pods, but they're also not buying Keurig cups. And Keurig is actually not selling these things at much of a profit at all. So, um, And you know what, though? I, I might be more willing to pay more for a Keurig K-cup if it wasn't such a blatant waste of plastic and general badness for the overall environment, right? If, if Keurig even started making their own ground coffee in cans and they figured out a way to, to DRM the coffee grounds, I might consider it. But the K-cups are just so damn wasteful. <laughs> This is this is very very true. And next time, um, I don't have my coffee kit with me here in the cabin. Uh, but next time I see you, Russ, I will make you a real cup of coffee that does not has not been sitting around for months and months and right. uh, is in freshly ground beans. I think I think you'll Ew. appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> Sean, let let us hear from you, sir. What would you like to uh, put into tech topic overload? Tonight. Yeah, so this is, I love this. This is not even a rant. This is just an observation. So everybody's familiar with ride-sharing services like Uber and Lyft, and they even have bus-sharing services now, like Chariot, where you can get a bus on demand to go to work Dude, or whatever. They have, they have helicopter-sharing services now. Anyway, so you, 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 when you go into these markets and you try to innovate, you know you're going to disrupt somebody. And so Uber is, has made lots of headlines for, for bashing heads with the taxi commissions in these cities and, and everything. And they seem to be getting past that. But now, of course, innovation has no ends. So who's the newest company to try and disrupt Uber and sue them? Oh, it's not the taxi commission anymore. It's not even the taxi drivers. It is, in fact... Melrose, Melrose Credit Union is the lar largest financier of, of taxi medallion loans. They have $1.5 billion in loans that people took out to buy taxi medallions, and they realize those people are not going to pay those loans back because the cost of a taxi medallion is plummeting. So they are, in fact, threatening to sue New York City if New York City doesn't make Uber illegal because they realize they won't get any of that money back from those loans. At the same time, it came out that Ford uh, and many of the, the major car manufacturers are testing their own ride-sharing services, <laughs> driving, of course, Ford vehicles in various cities, which is hilarious for all the reasons you can imagine. And what this drove home for me is when you go out there and you innovate and you add new technology to the market, you never really know who you're going to disrupt. <laughs> so Uber has inadvertently disrupted the financial industry <laughs> of New York City and has apparently caused car manufacturers to rethink their business model. So pretty soon, Ford, instead of making cars, is going to be your chauffeur service. And that is all I have to say about that. If I'm going to be chauffeured around, it better not be in a Ford. So <laughs> um, let's, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to carry us on in valiant fashion. Um, you know, Sean, as we have discussed many times here on, on the show, um, things like the NSA spying and network neutrality are very near and dear to the hearts of us here in the cabin. And um, part of the problem, especially if you, you look at, you know, the stuff that Edward Snowden released and um, you, you try to explain that to the general populace, and it turns out that it's really hard to make the general populace understand what it means that, you know, the NSA has access to your data. And you can say big scary words like the NSA has access to your data, but you're talking about such a, an esoteric, um, uh, nondescript thing that people can't really internalize that and turn it into uh, actual, 
like the NSA has my blank. On this week, was it last week tonight, John Oliver uh, recently went over to Russia to interview Edward Snowden. And it was very interesting because Edward Snowden, you know, I, re- I highly recommend it's it's a long segment. It's like 15 minutes. It's it, There is a bit of crudity in it, which we will discuss in just a moment. But um, Edward Snowden came out in the first half of the interview and, you know, he's talking in all these, you know, very large egalitarian terms and, and, John Oliver just kind of stops him dead and says, people don't get this. And he goes, and he, they, they went out to the New York Times, or to, um, to Times Square in New York, and they just randomly picked people off the street and said, do you know who Edward Snowden is? And, and about half the people had never heard of him, and the other half thought he ran WikiLeaks. And so <laughs> being associated as Julian Assange is definitely not something you want to be. Um, most people also had the opinion that he was a traitor. And whether or not you agree that Edward Snowden is a traitor or not, um, John Oliver said, now watch what happens when we ask the people what they think if the NSA had pictures of their dicks. And the reaction was a hundred and eighty degrees people started freaking out what do you mean the NSA and they would just basically say if you've ever sent a personal private picture of one of your body parts to someone on the other end the NSA has it if it's in your Gmail if it's in your Dropbox if it went across the text messaging service the NSA has that picture somewhere in a database and they have stored it and it's so bad that the NSA actually passes around naked pictures of people but John Oliver obviously you know he really wanted to distill it down to a very simple question so the question he asked people was what if the NSA had your dick pics and there was one particular guy that he basically just, oh, hell no, I can't, no, there's no way, that's terrible, terrible. And then they, 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 he stops for a minute, and the, the guy by the camera goes, have you sent one of those recently? And the guy goes, yeah, I sent one the other day to some lady I'm dating. <laughs> so they just kind of looked at him and were like, well, the NSA has it now, buddy. So... And yet, um, Mike, no matter how many photos we send of our bare asses via the snail mail printed out to the NSA, they continually refuse to admit that they get them. I, uh, Sean, the irony is thick there. I'm telling you. Um, so, so that is it for tonight's uh, Tech Moonshine. Russ, how can people get a hold of you? How can they hear about you or see about you or read about you? Or Are you on Twitter? Do you have an email address? What's your text messaging you know, service handle. Um, what's your phone number? I, I don't give out that stuff. The NSA <laughs> already has it. <laughs> why, why? Why would Russ? I need to give that out to you now? Have you been sending things about the NSA to see? <laughs> don't, Russ don't has a very my wife back on his face, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, well, so yeah. Any, I mean, anything you want to promote? Any websites? Anything like that? Yeah. No, not so much. Okay. It, ladies and gentlemen, not only is Russ an amazing intellect when it comes to 3D printing along with cheese, 
Um, but he's very humble as well, which is which is part of the reason that we we had to have him out to the cabin because later on we're going to get him rip roaring lit so that we can record <laughs> other things where he's not as humble. It's, and we need to get him to convince him to help us try to launch our still into orbit, which is kind of our goal for tonight. So next week, folks, if you don't hear from us, it might be because we succeeded. Yes, <laughs> and uh, you know, um, I actually, you know, tonight's sponsor is an Indiegogo campaign called By David Schiffman, Less Ugly Glasses. Now, how did we pick up an Indiegogo campaign for this guy named David Schiffman, and why would we even want to buy him Less Ugly Glasses? Well, David Schiffman is associated with a former friend of ours, Andrew David Thaler, uh, who coined the term the metric Thaler on the podcast. And David Schiffman, also known as Why Sharks Matter, um, is another marine ecologist. And unfortunately, David or uh, um, Mr. Schiffman has uh, terribly ugly glasses in all of his pictures. And uh, so Andrew David Thaler started this Indiegogo campaign where they were going to raise like you know five hundred dollars. And and I actually signed on to the campaign because part of the reason that I did was that I'm going to get a 3D printed megalodon tooth with tech moonshine etched into the side. But the best part is that they have well exceeded their goal. They've actually blown past the goal, so they've started adding stretch goals. And one of the stretch goals that they're adding is that they want to be able to take a, a disenfranchised, underrepresented high school out onto uh, Schiffman's boat where they do shark research. And um, it's about a $3,500 cost per class. Um, uh, to get out and they do shark tagging and he teaches them about sharks and conservation and things like that. It's really great stuff. Um, typically, you know, higher status high schools have the ability to sign on for things like this. Um, but, you know, uh, minor minority ruled and uh, less uh, uh, high schools with less money flowing into them do not have a chance to take these trips and so they're trying to throw one of those trips at one of these high schools which I think is a pretty noble thing so we would like to thank them for their sponsorship tonight you can find the link in the show notes and you know uh, contribute because not only can you send a high school uh, class on a shark trip but you can also uh, maybe get some 3D printed stuff which is really cool so Russ thank you for coming on Absolutely. Um, we're we absolutely pleased to have you um, glad, and to, glad to be here. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, y'all have a great night. Thanks for joining us for Tech Moonshine. You can continue the conversation on Twitter using the at Tech Moonshine account or find us on the web at techmoonshine.com. You can also chat with Mike and I directly. Mike's on Twitter as Rollins.io and I'm on Twitter as S. Burns. Special thanks to Jeff Holtzinger, our banjo picker, and his track Bent Nails, which you heard at the beginning of the podcast. You can find him on SoundCloud using the username Jeff on the Banjo. Please join us next week for more 200 Proof Truth about tech.